ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Garland Pepper Presents podcast. Today, my guest is Wendy. I, I want to say the full thing because it's been in my head. Go for it. Wendy Bennett. Wendy Bennett is a wine ambassador for Willamette Valley Vineyards. She's part of our Women in Business series. And uh, I think we're in for a fascinating journey through what is wine and particularly what is wine in Oregon. And Wendy is a master of that. So we're going to listen to her story. Welcome, Wendy. Nice to have you. Me, you, you. Nice to be had. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <Dave. laughs> Welcome. So um, let me just start out with you. Like, let's just start out with you and and tell me a bit about yourself, like who you are. Oh, wow. That's complicated. No, it's, a long, it's been a long life already. Uh, um, let's see. I am from a very big family. Oh, good. I have a very, very, very big family. Um, How big I, is very big? I've got eight brothers and sisters. Well, that's good size. Yeah. Same mom and dad. They liked each other a lot, Gary. They had a kid like every year. <laughs> We're very close in age. We're all one year apart. We're all like a year apart. But, oh, my Yep. There's 10 years between the oldest and the youngest. We're very close in age. Um, I uh, I grew up right in uh, Salem, Oregon, which is right up the road from where I work at Willamette Valley Vineyards. This is my hometown. My family's walked on wagon train in the in the big Great Migration of the 1850s. So the, your your family are original Oregonians. We're original Oregon Trail. They they didn't die of dysentery on their on their journey. They made and, it. They made it and their um, location that they wanted to go was Salem, Oregon. So I actually, the Pioneer Cemetery just up the road from my own home is where my great, great, great grandparents are buried and they were the ones that walked the trail with their eight children. Yeah. Yeah. You mean and, a lot uh, and got here. Oregonians that, whose families came here on the trail. Um, something about it they just stay you know well i think you know they were they were searching for paradise really i mean they were willing to risk their lives they knew death was on the line um that my family they lost their four-year-old just two weeks into their journey walking across the the plains and mm -hmm. um, so i mean it was perilous um but they were looking for a better life for their families and they knew they'd make history um, so it's a, it's a pretty remarkable story and it was all journaled. So we've got, um, a really great website that tells the stories and I've been able to know those stories from when I was a child. So I think there's a lot of, um, pride. Uh -huh. uh, there will be times when I'm driving down the freeway, at, you know, 65 miles an hour. And I think to myself, wow, my, my family walked here and, yeah. and I can get someplace so fast and to imagine the um just the struggles that they went through and the planning that they had to do and the heartache right. uh and, and sometimes reading those stories can be really difficult for me just to think about um what what people went through through that like i i would never imagine doing that i couldn't imagine doing that uh but then again i'm not in the same place they are and who knows life was like, very different all eight of you yeah you lived yeah, well, there's not nine kids and my parents. So, I mean, I guess if we all went along, we'd, we'd be together. You know what I mean? There might be some solidarity in that. Um, right. And I'm sure that a lot of the folks that came across, they didn't come alone. They came with other people. 
Um, but that's that's kind of how how my family got here, and um, my family's lived in Salem the whole time, pretty much. I have got a lot of roots in McMinnville too. So then I I grew up um I grew up LDS. Oh, you uh, did. I, yeah, Mormon. That's the eight kids. Uh, yeah, yep. Uh, it's. I know you you are an ambassador for wine now. Yeah, yeah. How did that work, right? I don't uh, know. Well, you know, I'm not LDS anymore. Uh, no, no issues or problems with that. Just didn't work for my family. Didn't. Right. Um, that wasn't the good, the right fit for us. So well, I understand as, the LDS yeah. very well. I grew up the same. Oh, right. So um, as as a woman, that really didn't work for us. My no, mom, my a, mom really didn't like that for her daughters. It just didn't. Oh, she didn't. No, she didn't want her daughters to grow up subservient. Mm -hmm. So I think my mother got into it. And there's a whole roundabout way that she ended up in it. And then my dad got into it because my mom was into it. And then as we all got older, um, she started to really see that um, there wasn't really a place for women to have any type of power or control and right. um delegated to the man i mean you can have an opinion but yes. in the end it's his it's his it's whatever his he choice does. yeah uh -huh. so she didn't she didn't like that um she stayed in it i think because you know it was kind of something they did and they made friends and it was just like life and then eventually as really as me and my sisters started getting into our later teens and early 20s my mom was like this just doesn't fit who we are and so we left the church, um, but it wasn't, you know, we still had friends. It was hard, but it, it was a long time ago, but that's how I grew up. And, and then I ended up getting in the wine industry because I loved service. I had always served. I had either been a, a waitress or I'd worked at country clubs and yeah. I love serving people, making them happy, um, you know, finding out what it is that, that they need and find a way to fulfill it. So you know, my journey started small, you know, working at, uh, at restaurants and, and club, country clubs. And um, I went to school to be a marriage counselor. Oh, you did? Yeah, I wanted to help people to stay together too. I, I love love, I love love still. Yeah. And yeah. as I was taking classes, I realized pretty Quick, no, I don't know about it was quickly into it, but I realized that um, it's not it's not all what it's cracked up to be. <laughs> Maybe the end result uh, as a marriage counselor when people make it, yay! But the hurt and the pain that people um, cause for each other, I didn't think I had the heart to be able to be involved in that. Like I, I have a really good memory, and I didn't want to taint my own dreams and ideas of love. Uh, so I decided that wasn't for me, and I, I I took a step back. And as a kid from you know with eight brothers and sisters, we weren't. My father was a National Guardsman, so we didn't have like money, magic college money to do whatever we wanted with. Sure. So um, I took a hiatus. I was just going to Chemeketa Community College. You know, I had been taking all my prerequisites and going toward that journey, and thought, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a hold. I'm going to find out what I really want to do, like, because I don't want to just be plugging along and really not have a, a direction of where to go. So I took um, a year off of school and I just was working to pay school loans off and live and have an apartment and have a, you know, 
pay pay for groceries and you know all the things mm -hmm. and i was a local waitress and i waited on mr jim burnell jim burnell uh, jim burnell founder and president of willamette valley vineyards i did not know who he was like he looked familiar to me but i couldn't i didn't know and I knew his name was Jim because he paid with a credit card and he had come in kind of regularly. I, I, he always seemed like he was in not a hurry, but like that he was a busy person. So I didn't do a lot of chit chat, just always kind of check in and and I'd get him in and out of there. He always seemed like he had to he had to go or do do things. Uh -huh. And um, one day I had charged him out and he was still sitting sitting there like kind of watching what I was doing and. I came back over like, oh, I'm so sorry. Is there something else that you need? I, you know, I see that you're still here. And he's like, oh, no, no, I'm, I was watching you take the, that food order over there. And I was like, oh, and it was a table of like 10 people. Oh. He goes, I noticed that you didn't write anything down. And I was like, oh yeah, I just, it's, I just memorized what they want. He goes, you memorized what everybody wanted at that table. I'm like, yeah, I do it all the time. And he's like, well, I want to stick around and see if you got it right. So like, okay. Okay. And he stuck around and I got everything right. Because it's this wasn't rocket science to me. You know, it wasn't hard work to me. It was just like, I'm just serving them. I see what you want. I got it. You know, I didn't really need to, I don't know. I just, I guess I just didn't even think about it, that it was hard or not hard. I just was, was what I did. Oh, I'd have to have a pen. <laughs> right. We'd go from there to the kitchen and I'd be I'd like, like what? Ah. <laughs> shoot what a chair to one want right and i just had a i don't know i just had this uncanny ability my short-term memory is really really good like really kind of crazy good my yeah. long-term memory is pretty good but my short-term memory is really good so Excellent. i can usually remember people's names and and what they want i'm pretty good at that so um when it was all done and you know i mean he didn't stay the entire meal waiting for them to eat he just stayed right, right. long enough to see if oh, i could you set it down and it went smooth it, it all went fine and so Somebody i said came, oh this isn't mine right there was no there was no issues and i i came back and i was like well that there we go and he goes you know that was that was really impressive i didn't think it was impressive i just thought this is what just what i do every day like this isn't that big of a deal and he gave me his business card and he said you know you'd be really great up at the winery and I said, the winery? And he goes, oh, uh, Willamette Valley Vineyards. I'm like, I love that place. Do you work there? And he's like, <laughs> you could say that. And I didn't look at his business card because I used to think that it was like impertinent. Like, ooh, this is what you do. You know, I don't know. Right, I right. don't know what I was thinking. I was young and just not yeah, thinking yeah. really. And so I tucked it into my apron, went about my business. He, he left and then when I was, you know, back in the back doing my closing duties and cleaning out my apron and turning everything in, I find his card and it says founder and president. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that was the, oh gosh, oh geez. So then he didn't, I didn't call him because he told me I should call him and like, you know, come in and have an interview. You'd be great out there. And I was like, uh-huh, okay. You're like, I don't know anything about wine. I don't, I, he's just. Maybe he, I hate to even say this, Gary, but I thought maybe he was hitting on me. You know, I I'm, I know that's not the case, but like I just didn't see what he saw. Right. Um. And and it's just because I just didn't. Sometimes we don't see ourselves. Well, you didn't understand the desperation of people in the service industry for 
magical people. Not at all. And you you're absolutely right. How powerful and how challenging it is to actually get people who are worth a damn in that business. And when you see them, if you can, if you can, if you can grab them, you do. I think you're right about that because I've had my own cases where I've had uh, really great service somewhere, and I just thought to myself, like, I have got to have her work with me, or mm -hmm. I have got to have him at the winery. He would be so great. So I, I think I know what you mean, but but it's hard to see in your own self. Well, you, know, you were like, a kid. You were just doing your best. I was right. That's impressive. Yeah, and so um, so I didn't I didn't call, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't email. I just thought he must be crazy. Uh, and he he came out to dinner with his daughter, Emmy, who's, you know, she's in her 30s now. Um, and I waited on them. And again, he says, why haven't you called? Why haven't, you know, you emailed? And I was like, oh, you know, you don't want me. I don't know anything about wine. And he goes, you know what? I can teach you all that. But whatever this thing is that you are, I can't teach that. That's right. So I, you know, I thought about it for a little while and I, I just, I, I still didn't, I still didn't go though, Gary. I still just was thinking about it. Like, yeah. I don't know. And then he sent in his management team and he gave a headhunter's fee to his management team who can bring her in. And so I was, yeah, I was waiting on them. And, you know, I just started noticing how strange is this that all these people from Willamette are now coming down to lunch here, you know? Where were you working? I was working of all places, the Applebee's. And I chose the Applebee's because it was non-smoking. It was a safe family environment. Mm -hmm. I could turn tables really quickly and I could just get out of there and I wouldn't have to think about it. I could just right. get get out of there. I worked there for six years. Oh my God. And I, and I, I got to tell you what, I had such a fun time. I made so many great friends and, and incredible lifelong customer friendships that I still keep in touch with people to this day that I adore from that time there. You know, and it's wild to me to think of myself in that role because I had always worked at mom and pop places, um, you know, high-end restaurants. Um, but then I moved to Los Angeles for a little while. I thought I'd, I thought I'd try to become an actress oh. for a small period of time in my early 20s. And then um, I came back and I just, I had taken a string of jobs working at like, um, like bars, like clubs, uh, when downtown Salem used to be hopping, you know, when, when they used to have like, you know, lines out the door in some of those bars downtown before OLCC got smart and shut that down because it was a really bad, was dangerous bad. scene for a long time. Uh -huh. But, but I did that and I just was like, it's so gross. It's, I smelled so bad my hair my clothes i would i'd have to just take everything off and shower before i went to bed it was so yeah. gross uh cigarette smoke and i just hated it and then the applebee's had been built it had just been opened up i had a friend that worked there that was like hey they're looking for a bartender it's full time and i'm like you know what i gotta get out of this job this stuff this isn't going anywhere. And although Applebee's wasn't going anywhere either, it was a safer, cleaner environment. So I, so I jumped on board, stayed with them for a while. And then, so all these, all this crew started coming in from Willamette asking, you know, um, oh, would I be interested in working up there? Da, da, da. And this one gal, she says, why don't you just come up for an interview? Because, you know, maybe your boss will find out here 
and he'll give you a raise so he doesn't lose you. He, she's like, you got nothing to lose. And I was like, you know, she's right. I, I don't have anything to lose. Why not? So I went up there and they had like a panel of six managers interviewing me, which I thought was really strange. I was like, okay, but I, I nailed the questions because they were one, they were really easy for me. It was really all about service. And that's one thing I love to do. I love serving customers. So there was no problem. But the, the other thing was that I just was really surprised about was that all of them just seemed really interested in, in me. So when they were all done with the interview, I said, you know, can I ask a question? I'm just so curious here. Like, do you normally interview someone for the tasting room with a panel like this? And they were like, oh, we don't want you for the tasting room. And I was like, oh, um, well, do you mind telling me what I'm interviewing for? And they were like, well, we need somebody to redesign our tour and tasting program. And I was like, well, I've never been on a wine tour. I've never given a tour. I was like, can I, can I take one and see if this would be even something I would want to do? And they were like, yeah. So I took a wine tour and no offense to the gal, but she was awful. It was awful. I was like, I felt, I mean, she's a nice lady. I know her even to this day. She's super sweet, but it was just not. She like had there was, presentation skills. Yeah. There just wasn't anything tangible to take away. You know, it was too simple. It was not. I felt like if I was going to go on a wine tour, I'd maybe want to know more things like not everything, not to where I glaze over and not have an idea what somebody was talking about, but just something more. I wanted some stories and some substance. Yeah. Um, and there just really wasn't anything there. So mm -hmm. I took the job because I really felt like I could do something. I felt like that I could have some fun with it. And so I kept my other job. I did this one on the weekends and then it just went so well that Jim is like, I need her full time. You guys, I need her. I want her all the time. Like, can you find some other things for her to do? So they asked me to come on and run their offsite event program. So Newport seafood and wine festival, the bite of Oregon, you know, all these big festivals. Yeah. So I was, I was running these booths. With, with, you know, I'd have cases of wine behind me. I'd have, um, you know, employees and volunteers that I'm managing. So essentially I'm kind of managing uh, these this this weekend party. Right, so yeah, your little pop-up business manager. Pop-up business venture, right? And so I started doing that and um, and it was really hard work. I did that for about three years, but you know, it was, it was hugely beneficial in that when I first get to the event, I would set up. And then when my employees came or my volunteers, I'd have them take over the table. And then I'd say, I'm going to be right back. And I got a clipboard and I went around to all of the booths to the other wineries because I was new at this. I didn't know anybody. I just was, I felt like a, I don't want to say like a big dummy, but like I just felt really un not connected. I love being connected. And I just didn't know anybody. So I walked around and I just, it was early. So they weren't busy. The other booths weren't busy. It was the beginning of the festival. And this was up at the Bite of Oregon was my very first big, big, big event. That's and I, I wrote down, and it's a big event at the, it's in, right at the waterfront front. And I wrote down people's names and, and information and like, what's your favorite wine here? And where are you located? And what's the story? 
And I, I, I learned about 10 different wineries. Some of them were like, we're really busy. Oh, you're with Willamette. Oh, you know, it was very strange. Only a couple of them were like that. But the ones that were like, oh, hey, yeah. Oh, I, this is where I'm at. And this is what I make. Well, all weekend long, I sent people over to them because people would be like, oh, who else should I see here? And I'd be like, oh, go see Will over at Meth then, you know? Yeah. Uh, go, go, you know, on and on of, of who they should see. So then what ended up happening is this, this camaraderie started to form. And, in, 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 right. And instead of um, us being rivals, we were friends and supporting each other. So they would send people to me and I'd send people to them. Then the next festival would happen. And lo and behold, there's my friends again, the friends I just met before. And so we start becoming friends and then they introduce me to their people. Oh, you've got to go meet so-and-so at this booth. Uh -huh. and, and then in that three years really solidified some major basis for me uh, for, for places, other wineries in Oregon that not only that I could go visit and learn more about my own self, but yeah. that, that I could send people to. And so that gave me more credibility. Right. You know, because then I actually seemed not just seemed I was in, I was in it. I was doing it. Right. So then after the off offsite events, because then Jim Bruno was like, okay, that's great, but I want her more here. Like, I don't want her there. I like that she's there. That's great. She's doing a great job, but I want her here. I've got clients that are coming in, people that are coming in. She shines bright and I want her here. Uh -huh. So then I came back and I became a full-time winery ambassador. So what an ambassador would do is they'd manage family accounts, personal direct-to-consumer accounts, not company accounts, not wine shops, restaurants, grocery stores. This is like people, real people. And that's my favorite stuff. So I get to serve people. Yeah. So I, I did that for a while. I still do that. That's actually my, my main, main job that I do. But then not long into it, they wanted to send me out on the road because I started making friendships with all these people who'd come here and then they live in different places. And those people, oh, you've got to come here, Wendy. We've got this really cool festival. You've mm -hmm. got to come to this festival. Well, all my history of working our offsite events, they were like, well, Wendy can work an event. She knows how to run a booth. And I, it's because all the bartending I'd done, you know, being able to manage, you know, multiple people, you know, getting them kind of together, so to speak. Sure. And um, so then I started doing that. I started going out on the road and I was traveling all over to almost every state in the U.S. And just popping in and doing events or meeting with wine shops, grocery stores, you know, getting what they call placements, you know, getting my wine in, in a wine shop. And so also selling all across the United States selling all across the United States. Wow, and I, and at first I loved it. All my friends were like, Oh my God, when you got the coolest job, it's crazy. I can't believe your job. And I'm thinking to myself, I can't believe this job. Did this really happen? Like I was supposed to go back to college to like figure out what I was supposed to do. And here I'm like a complete duck to water, like just picking it up. Like it was like, it was completely meant to be like, I was always meant to be here. Right. And then, um, Going out on the road was was fun, but it was so hard. It was tiring and it was it was not fun. I mean, it was fun when I get to be with people, 
yeah there'd be times i wouldn't even remember what town i was in like i'd wake up in a hotel and be like i'd have to go and look at the phone or i'd have to like find oh that's right i'm in baltimore right now okay okay i'm i'm heading down to annapolis you know what i mean like just yeah. it, crazy stuff and um and then i uh i didn't i really didn't have like a, a home you know that sounds crazy but like you know i had lived i rented a room from one of my girlfriends and just basically stored everything because i was on the road so much yeah. and um i just the best missed roommate ever yeah right they never even know yeah. but i i really missed home like i missed um i didn't just miss like you know my family i missed my family of course but i didn't have a husband i didn't have children so it wasn't like that i just missed oregon yeah like i just missed um the smell and the season and the, I don't even know how to explain it right. When you're an Oregonian and you leave and you come back, you know what I'm talking about. It's this really yeah. strange. Even the people are, are different here. They're, yeah. So there's a different kind of openness. Yeah. I hope we don't yeah. lose COVID because even myself, I feel a little more closed in and I feel awkward. Like, you know, if I see a movie where like people are getting close to each other, I'm like, ah. Isn't that funny? You never even thought about it before. And now COVID, you'll watch an, a movie that came out before and you're like, oh, I can't believe they're not wearing a mask. <laughs> but um, anyway, but I, I came back home in 2016, kind of more full, full time back home. Um, and now I only travel um, for special programs that I develop, which is wonderful. Um, so I like if I have friends out in the market is what I call it out out in the world that want to want me to come out and I want to go see them too. I'll just design a program so that I can go and see them. And so then I can, I guess, essentially kind of pay for my trip by going out and and getting, you know, uh, placements and stuff like that. Uh, so continue the work that that the winery has put up for me to do. So you built up. Uh quite a few markets. How many years did you do that? Um, I did that from 2012 to 2016, uh, solidly. Um, and then I came back in, in September of 2016. And then I have since then only done a few trips a year. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, which is wonderful. Because <laughs> yeah. now I'm a married person, I have a sweetheart, uh, he is wonderful. I've got two incredible stepkids that uh -huh. I like to be able to be here for. Yeah. Um, so it's nice. This whole COVID thing's been interesting because I haven't been able to travel. Um, and even though I, I'm not, I wasn't traveling full time, I was still traveling at least, you know, four, at least four, four to five times a year uh -huh. for about, about a, a week and a half to two weeks at a time. Um, yeah. And now I haven't been able to do anything. Uh, but I've been doing virtual calls like crazy. Zoom's yeah. become like my my new best friend, Gary. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm connecting with people all across the country. I yeah. did some big programs for um, the American Wine Society right when COVID dog days hit, when it got really bad. I just reached out to the American Wine Society. I'm like, let's just do a series of virtual tastings. And um, that went really well. So how did you yeah. format that? That's some pretty creative thinking. Yeah, you know, I was doing some dreaming. I was doing a lot of dreaming. Um, I know that sounds kind of crazy, but um, in the morning, right before I wake up, I, I feel pretty lucid and can have, I just sometimes have some of my greatest ideas first thing in the morning. So I just started trying to think outside of the box and adapt to whatever was happening because, I mean, this was in March, uh, end of March when I came up with the idea. 
and I know that um, there are uh, organizations all across the country that want, want and need to get together, right? So I'm like, okay, well, you know, the American Wine Society, they drink wine, they like to get together, and they're going to ha have a challenge with it. So maybe I'll try this out. Uh, so I called the president of the American Wine Society, and I just said, hey, I've got an idea. Do you have five minutes? Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, what's going on? And I told him my idea, and he's like, I love it. I'm going to put you in our next newsletter and he goes actually let me send an email out to all the presidents of our chapters and see if they're interested and before you knew it it, it took off it took, took off crazy and i was grateful for it because i wasn't sure uh -huh. if if my regular market base like the people that i work with direct to consumer on a regular basis i didn't know how they were going to be affected by COVID. Uh -huh. um so I was trying to find outlets and, and actually what I was surprised about Gary is there's one thing that is inevitably going to happen no matter how bad things get is people drink. Oh yeah. I'm drinking more than I ever have. People drink, they drink wine. I mean, not everybody drinks, but, but a lot of people do and they like great wine. And so if anything, things just really started ramping up direct to consumer because so many things shut down. Apparently they're selling a lot more alcohol in Utah than they used to. Oh, Gary, you know, it's funny. I, I have spent a lot of time in the Utah market and one of my, one of my main reps there, she goes, you want to know what's the most, most profitable weekend of the entire year. In fact, we almost sell more alcohol in that one weekend than the whole rest of the year. Oh, general conference. General conference. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah. It just it, makes me it, laugh a little bit, but it's it, well, it's, it's, it's anytime family gets together. Yes. Stress levels are higher. Yeah. And oh, so yeah. people need a little, little something to take it down. Take and, the edge off. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Well, I worked at Pepsi in Provo. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Well, Pepsi, well, we had all the brands cause it was a Pepsi factory, but we had orange crush and hires root beer and seven up. And RC Cola? No RC because no it was RC. But and Diet Pepsi. So you would think being Utah would be root beer seven up and orange crush that sold. Not even close. <laughs> All the Mormons are drinking the Pepsi. It's so funny. It's yeah. so funny. I it, it makes me laugh only because it's such a silly thing. It's such right. a silly thing, you know, don't drink dark liquids. It's such a silly thing, but, um, you know, I think what they really meant in that, um, in that particular scripture and forgive me was probably whiskey, probably don't drink whiskey, but, um, it probably was, but it but is what it is. Included tea and coffee and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's funny, Gary. I didn't know that about you. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah, I grew up a little Mormon a little bit, but yeah, it was one, it was one of my first jobs out of high school was working at a bottling factory. It was hard work. Yes. Yeah. Production is very difficult. It's a lot of moving parts and, you know, in commonly you're in a warehouse type facility, so it's not, not very warm or comfortable. Um, loud. loud, very loud. Mm -hmm. And accident, it, yeah. machines move at their pace and it's not a human pace. So no. your rhythms are being dictated yeah. by yeah. the system and it's, it's really difficult. Yeah. So I've never worked in a factory since then. I did about a year there. We call that purgatory. Yeah. Because commonly when you work in production, it's like the same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing. So, okay. um, over over. Uh, yeah. 
So you um, build up these markets and then he wants you to kind of build up the whole brand in, as an ambassador. Yeah, yeah. It becomes your next level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it wasn't just, it wasn't just me. There, there are several of me. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, an, there's only one Wendy. Right. You know, at, um, but there are other people This this was what they wanted to do, like an, like a hybrid type program. Mm-hmm. So somebody who knows how to serve and work with people, um, they wanted to try to do the same thing, working with restaurants, grocery store, wine shops. But okay. there's, there's a big learning curve there that, you know, so when I first went out into the market, I didn't know anything about um, depletions. What does that even mean, you know, or um, what OND meant? I don't know what either of those mean. In this so uh, depletion is when the, so as a supplier, we provide a product, right, to the distributor. And when the distributor sells it, they're depleting it. It's a depletion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so you get a depletion report and that's supposed to let you know how much product this particular market is going through. But I didn't know how to pull a depletion report. I didn't even know what one was. Right. You don't know where uh, it's going. I, I didn't even know where to find it or what OND meant, which is October, November, December. OND. But in the wine industry, OND is like a, 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 everybody uses that term. And basically what it means is you're going to get your, your ass kicked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're Our- about to... You're about to experiencing the experience the busiest season of your lifetime. Uh, that's O N D, um, and so commonly they don't they either don't let you travel in market during that time, or you need to be um, finding out what they need for O N D. So there are like certain things I just really didn't know anything about, and I went in blindly. So it's I mean, hands on deck when yeah. the grapes come in. Nobody's doing outside projects. It's all harvest and bottle and and casking and bottling and and all of that stuff. Uh, you mean at the winery? Yes. Yeah, that's all. That's what that's still happening there. But for me, you know, and I can talk about that all day long. I can talk about the winery. I can talk about making wine. I can talk about anyone at the winery, but and which is good. And actually, I think it was better because then when I went out into the market, I wasn't like every Tom, Dick, and Harry sales rep that was out there trying to sell their their snake juice you know here i am like a real person not that they aren't real but what i mean by that is i'm actually from this place Mm -hmm. i'm not somebody who lives in on the east coast and serves that territory like i'm literally from the winery so you could tell how green i was right and i just you know i would just be asking questions i would just be soaking in everything that i could because i just felt like i was floundering yeah, but I'm I've always been a firm believer that if I'm failing, I'm getting closer to 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 winning like that. I, I will actually yeah. solve my problem the more I fail. Yeah. You know, there were plenty of times I, I cried myself to sleep in my hotel room, um, but I was being effective. It was working. Whatever I was doing was working. I just didn't know what I was doing. Right. So um, when I, when I, you come out, despite your, despite your knowledge deficit, your skills, your, whoever this person's skills are, right? Find stories. 
And that's one of the things you, 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 you talked about is, is finding the stories and, and putting story into the, into the experience. And yeah. that, that's an important insight. Well, and, and you got to know when to do it. Yeah. You, you can't look like you've been thinking about what you wanted to say the whole time somebody's talking. Yeah. You know, listening is a big, is a big deal in this industry. Just taking that moment to just listen to somebody, even if it might not have anything to do with what you're doing, yeah. but people just want to be heard. And, and a lot of the time I, I want to listen to what they want to say. It's going to, to help me to know what, what to do, what to do for them. And right. that's what I did when I was out in the market. I wasn't trying to sell wine. I was just servicing them. The, the buyer already knows what they want. They know how much they are going to pay because they, they're a buyer. That's their design. Yeah. They, they know what they're missing in right. their store. So I never really had to do a lot of selling. I would just ask some questions to help get some feedback. And then I would just thank them for their time. Uh -huh. And nine times out of 10, I would get a sale because I just wasn't even, I wasn't, it wasn't that I wasn't asking for it. It's just, I wasn't expecting it. Right. When you came along when the Pinots, which is really our, you know, that's the Northwest wine. That's right. Right. It's, it's the one wine that we make that our volcanic soil just turns into just the most delicious stuff. Isn't it the best? Mm -hmm. We are lucky. It sure beats the hell out of hazelnuts and logging, Gary. <laughs> Yeah, it's a much, much better way to, to kind of utilize our resources, isn't it? I mean, uh, we're really lucky that we have so many incredible natural resources here. And there, I'm not dogging on logging. I love it. I'm just, I'm just messing around. It's, um, we're, we're really lucky to have that here, too. Yeah, we are. And that's actually what, you know, your family came up on, imagine. I mean, if they weren't directly involved with logging, literally all the money running through Salem had logging on it. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely, yeah. Buildup of, of Oregon. Oregon. I Oregon. Like Just to make you feel like maybe you're in Kentucky or something. We haven't gone anywhere, I always tell people. We're still there. Oregon. <laughs> Oregon. Oregon. Yeah. yeah. Which is weird because it does sound like yeah, Oregon is the same thing as the organ, you know, or pipe organ or totally body organ. It's the way we pronounce it, it it's not spelled the same as them, but it's our way and doggone it, that's the way it's said because it's our state. Because it's our state, that's right. Our state, yeah. <laughs> so you're, you go around the country and you're meeting amazing people, but at some point we decide that we want to introduce Oregon wines to the world. Are you part of that? So, um, you know, Oregon wines, luckily, I mean, I, 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 I wished I had been part of that. <laughs> Um, that that's pretty much happened. Um, Oregon, actually, the top 100 wineries in the world um, were introduced by Wine Spectator, and six of them were from Oregon. What? Um, and and that was, I believe, that one that particular article came out like five years ago. But Oregon is being recognized as one of the greatest wine producers in the world. Yeah. Um, and uh, and for good reason. I mean, you think about what what is what's up with Oregon and why is it so much different than our neighbors, let's say in California. And this isn't going to be a California bashing party because there's lots of wonderful wines from California. California. It's not about that, but what it is about is about um, standards. Now in Oregon, our standards are really, really high. 
we have super, super high regulated standards in Oregon. In California, they don't. They have I, they have substandard is my personal opinion. Okay. I think that they, sh I believe that they should be raising their standards. Um, they have a, they're, for instance, they have what's called the 7525 law, which means that if you call a wine Cabernet Sauvignon in California, uh -huh. then 75% of it has to be Cabernet. Oh. Now let's imagine if they did that with Pinot. So they grow Pinot in California. And let's say that 75% Pinot Noir. Well, I can tell you there are plenty of Pinot Noirs that are produced where I've had people in other states taste the wine and it's from California. It's a Pinot. And they're like, wow, this tastes like a Syrah. Uh-huh. Well, maybe it has Syrah in it. It could. It could. And so the other part is, too, that not only do they have that 75-25 law, but they are allowed to use certain vinifera that we, we aren't even legally allowed to grow here. Uh, one of them is called Ruby Red. Uh -huh. And Ru Ruby Red is uh, one of the very few grapes in the world that has a red inside, red inside and red outside. Okay. And it doesn't taste all that great. It's just, it's it, what they grow it in California in abundance. And then they pick it and then they turn it into a food dye. Okay. And it, it dyes the color of the of the juice darker in red and it also has a lot of tannin structure so it gives a lot of mouthfeel so they use it as a filler to color wine or to give texture to wine yeah and um and it's called mega purple is the name of that mega purple we we are not allowed to grow that here because we don't want to bastardize our wine. And I'm not trying to say that that's why California grows it because they know they're bastardizing their wine, but any great winemaker knows that you don't need that. Why would you need any of that? So here in Oregon, we have the 90-10 law. 90% of what's on the bottle has to be what's in the bottle and 10% can be something else. Um, we don't usually need that problem. But sometimes people like to blend in, let's say like Pinot Gris, our Pinot Gris, we blend in a little bit of Pinot Blanc to give more mid palate. But it isn't because we don't want to be true to Pinot Gris. It's just we're trying to give a little bit more of a, an authentic mouthfeel. So we, we have just tiny little ways we can mess around. But for instance, in the Willamette Valley, 95% of the fruit has to be what like let's say from a particular AVA, like Eola, Eola Amity or Dundee or McMinnville, if that says it on the bottle, 95% of it has to be from that location. Those vineyards in that location. Right, and now what's, really strict, what's that? We have really strict laws regarding domain. Correct, we, yeah. 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 And this is really, it's truth and labeling. It's truth and labeling that Oregon has tried really hard to do from the very get-go. I mean, everything from us writing really strict label laws to protect us from ourselves because our neighbors in California had upset the French so badly that the French wanted nothing to do with the American wine industry anymore. I mean, you think about jugged Burgundy that was not from Burgundy, you know, or Chablis, beautiful Chablis, Right. Chardonnay in a plastic bag on a tap. Right. You know, or, or the or the dreaded white Zinfandel, which single-handedly plummeted the sales of rose for decades. You know, so right? I, I mean 
you, you would find people who wouldn't be caught dead having pink wine in their glass. Yeah. And, and now where you used to rarely ever be able to find a bottle of rosé, now you can find entire sections of rosé. Thank goodness. I love rosé. I'm so glad rosé is back. But, you know, so Oregon was really strict on label laws. And really it was prote to protect us from ourselves, to protect the French really and really other industries. But So, you know, there's the, the whole concept of, you know, the, the libertarianism, whereas like, I just do the wine my way. Um, and then there's that don't regulate me thing that's out there. And you have this industry in order to unify a product with the brand of Oregon decided to work on legislation to constrain itself. Yeah. Very unusual using, yeah. using the law. Now, Gary, that happened a long time ago. It, I don't know that that would have, I don't know if it would have happened now. Oh, I like if they could have passed that now, um, this was done back in, you know, the, the early 1980s, late, late seventies, early eighties was really when this was happening. Yeah. Um, and it was brilliant and wonderful that it happened because in the end, the French ended up looking at Oregon as like real, um, uh, um, like not just camaraderie, but like as a, a, a legitimate place to grow and make wine. Mm -hmm. You know, where we're, and I'm not trying to say they think like totally of us now. I'm sure they kind of think of us more as maybe hillbillies, but I think they're seeing that we're authentic. Yeah. And that, and they love it. So we get a lot of visitors from France that come out here. Um, the big international Pinot Noir celebration, the IPNC that's hosted there at Linfield College. Yeah. Um, they bring in um, producers from France and then we partner up with them. Like we're pen pals, we're, we, we, we're buddies. Each winery gets their own, each winery that's involved in IPNC per each year gets their own French producer and you become friends with them. That's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. We've, we've got a really cool one named Bertrand, Art, uh, Bertrand Ambrose. And he's like the most lovely man ever. And he comes over to Oregon all the time. Nice. Yeah. And so you guys, do you ever get over there, France and all that? I haven't been there yet. I really want to go. I've done Italy and loved it. Went all over the place there. I just haven't had a chance to go to, to do the France thing yet. I was doing too much traveling of my own for work. But now that I have a little bit, I don't want to say free time because we certainly don't have that. But um but I'd like to be able to make a trip over there. And I, I do have some colleagues that have worked in the industry and worked in different um, uh, wineries there that are like, oh, I've got to get you out there. Just tell me when you're going to go. Um, so I feel confident that I'd be well taken care of when uh -huh. I do. I just got to work on my work on my French. I'm much better at Spanish, much better at Spanish and Italian, but I'll have to work on my French. French is harder than the other two. And you would think they would be, you'd be able to kind of, tie it all together because it's a Latin base, but yeah. it's, the pronunciation is so different on everything. It is, it is. But the best thing you can do is learn as much of the language as you can when you're there, because that is, the French will actually like, almost, I don't want to say embrace you, but they would, they'll be much kinder to you if you can try to speak their language. Right, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's on the bucket list, <laughs> for sure. Well, yeah, it's definitely should be. So, and their wines, I think, are more comparable to Oregon wines than, say, Italian wines are so much drier and same with Portuguese. Absolutely. Very similar climates. Very, yeah. very similar climates. 
Well, that was the reason that uh, the guy who brought first Pinots to Oregon, uh, he researched up and down, and this was, you know, the reason he went to, what was which valley did he go to? Dundee, I think. Yeah. Um, well, there's there's two there's two guys um, that are famous uh, in Oregon, the two founding fathers of uh, wine country here. The first one was Richard Summers, um, and he had gone to school at UC Davis, and he came up to um, Roseburg, yeah. little Rose, little Roseburg, Oregon, which is actually where Jim Bruno, our founder, is from. That's his okay. hometown, and Jim's dad, um, he was a local lawyer, and he wrote the legislation or he wrote the, I don't think it was legislation, he wrote the um, the very first, um, I guess, permit for the first license and bonded winery in Oregon. And mm -hmm. that was at, um, at Hillcrest Winery in Little Roseburg. And initially, uh, Richard Summers had told his professors and his friends, like, I wanna grow, you know, these, I wanna grow the noble varietals. And I think it's going to happen in Oregon. And he loaded up and came up to Oregon and he started getting really nervous because his friends basically said, you're not going to get anything to grow there. Like moss grows on people there. Like, yeah. good luck. It does. And, and so he started to get nervous. And as he was driving up to the Willamette Valley, maybe not knowing that he was going to the Willamette Valley, just going north. Right he stopped in Roseburg because he got nervous and he thought maybe my friends are right. Maybe if I go too far, I won't be able to ripen these grapes. So he settled there. And then not long afterward in 1964, so that was 1961. And in 64, just three years later, David Lett, who had gone to school, he's actually from Utah. Uh, I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, he'd gone to school in, in Salt Lake. And then he transferred. What's that? You study in medicine. I believe so. Yeah. And then he transferred over to UC Davis um, and started in on their viticulture program. And um, and he was just like a total champion. He knew he knew he was going all the way up north. It was there was no question about it. He was like, you know, the latitudes match, um, the climate match, the soil had a lot of similarities. This is this is going to be the holy grail of, of Pinot Noir. Uh, so I'm not sure that he said all that, but I mean, I, I know that he was he was willing to take the chance. Mm -hmm. So he came up here. Now, the, the story is that um, David Lett was looking at a couple different people, pieces of property. The very first property that he really wanted, that he was like hoping for, that fell through, was in Silverton, Oregon. Oh, where? I, I'm not sure the location, uh, exact location, but that was his original place was out over in the near near Silverton. Huh? And then the second property that came up was the one in Dundee. So he started that property in Dundee. And then lo and behold, just not long, 10 years after he started 1974, his South Block Pinot Noir placed at the World's Fair. And, and everybody's eyes were on it like, what this who? No. Somebody must have been getting paid. There's no way that these podunks in Oregon could win. Which vineyard was that, Dundee or? This was the one in Dundee, and this is for Irie Vineyards. That's David Lett's uh, uh, program over there, Irie Vineyards. Now, we lost David Lett in, I think it was 2000 and, 2008 or 2009. Um, but his son, Jason, a bright, wonderful, kind-hearted young man, has taken on the the um, taken the reins there and has uh, 
has kept Ivory Vineyards going and, and not just kept going, but thriving. They, they make a wonderful wine, uh, beautiful spot. They, their tasting room's just in downtown McMinnville, but their vineyards are out in Dundee. And then, so then now, interestingly, David Lett uh, was very good friends with um, Bill Fuller, who started Tualatin Estate and Willamette Valley Vineyards merged companies with Tualatin Estate in the mid 90s. So Bill Fuller, uh, who was the very first winemaker to come up here, everyone else had been students of wine, but never actually making wine. And Bill Fuller, who worked for Louis Martini, quit his job at Louis Martini because his friend David Lett said, get up here. Yeah. This place is incredible. Like this is this is the place to be. So he loaded up his wife in her station wagon and the kids and packed it up. And then he got his pickup truck loaded up with cuttings and winemaking equipment. And he came up here. And him and, and uh, David Lett did work together to start different Chardonnay programs and Pinot programs of their own. Um, and and um, we still luckily have Bill Fuller to tell the story uh, of, of some of these very first days when nothing was here. We didn't even have a roadmap of what Oregon wine would look like. We didn't even know what the soil types were. Um, it's remarkable how far we've come in such really such a short amount of time. It's you know, from what? 1961 to now, it's a young industry. 58 years. It's a long time. But, you know, what does it take? 10 years for an orchard or a vineyard to really start producing? Yeah, I mean, you really start to see your first, you see your first um, fruit at three years. Um, but it's, it's meager. Right. Um, but, you know, about five, six years in, you start seeing more of it. Um, you know, usually when somebody, when people start a winery, they're, um, you know, and plant a, a vineyard, um, a lot of the time they'll, they'll contract out for fruit while they're trying to grow their brand. So it's super, super common. Um, a lot of the time, even now you'll find wineries that are what are called nano wineries. So they're just, you know, they're making wine, like at the Carlton winemaker studio. They're yeah. so small that they might not even have a tasting room. Um, I love that stuff. I think it's so exciting to watch some of these new brands come out and these winemakers uh giving it a whirl it's i love it and you never know where they're gonna go you know mm -hmm. where who they'll end up working for or what their brand will end up being it's just kind of like when we first started out here in oregon people looked at oregon wine like we were crazy yeah. and and here we are now um you know decades later and really you know getting 90 points plus on all kinds of wines in oregon so it's um yeah where we just didn't get the sun and it's just made for a few bad seasons. How does, how does a winery work through that? That's gotta be really challenging. It's kind of like COVID can happen almost any time to a winery. It's gonna get a bad year. Well, luckily Oregon, we haven't had, we haven't had two, we haven't really haven't had any, I don't wanna call them bad years. Um, Cause I don't think we really had any, we've had challenging years. Um, Oregon does have a very unique growing season comparatively to a lot of places. Um, for instance, uh, the vine, not just any uh, growing here in Oregon, and let's just talk about the actual vine, the grape. It, it grows from May to October. So from October to May, it's sleeping, it's dormant, it's not doing anything, it just looks like an ugly stick coming out of the ground. Um, you know, it's, it's scraggly. 
um, then May happens and bud break happens. And within from May to October is, is the life of that fruit. And if you think about it, most of the rain that happens here in Oregon and the cloudiness that we see happens from October to May. Mm -hmm. From May to October, Oregon only gets about five inches of rain. Yeah. It's very small amount. And usually it'll happen in a spurt right. and it'll be done. Now, the time when it's the most dangerous, that rain that we're talking about uh, is in May, which all that rain can can really damage bud break. All the little the little pestles that are sticking yeah, yeah. out, wanting to grow, um, it'll get knocked off. And every time they get knocked off, that's like a cluster being knocked off, essentially. So it's bad then, and then it's bad at, at harvest. Because if it rains at harvest time, a little rain's fine. But if it rains like we oftentimes see it in October, the right. rain will get into the cluster and can rot the cluster from the inside out. Right. So we really want it cool and dry. So the cool is totally fine. Pinot likes it cool. It, in fact, it's much like a diva. If it gets too hot, it will just walk off stage. And there is nothing you can do to get it back if it gets too hot. Yeah. So that's what that's actually going to be the next challenge for us is this uh, climate change. Climate change is going to be a big, 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 really big challenge. So the Umqua, Umqua Valley wine should be the precursor for you. You should be able to see what's happening there. Oh, with the, the fires, you mean? Or with the oh, with the heat, with the heat change. Yeah, because that's really the transition. Uh, Roseburg, the Umqua Valley is the transition in Oregon between uh, the Southern Oregon climate and the Northern Oregon climate. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. You you are right on the money there. Um, it might be a little difficult to compare the Pinot just because it is a touch warm. I'm wondering if maybe some of the Pinots from the early days of, of um, Umpqua Valley maybe taste more like what they do now. Mm. Yeah. But but they're but they're growing a lot of big reds down in uh, Douglas County, Red Hills, Douglas County. Uh, in um, in uh, Umpqua and um, and in Southern Oregon in the Rogue, so uh, we'll just we'll just adapt as we go. Because what else are we gonna do? Well, that's that's the thing about horticulture, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You're yeah. uh, you got to stay in line with the systems, and the systems are dictated by you know the seasons and the sun and the environment Absolutely. and all that. And Absolutely, yeah, this year was a challenge. I'll tell you that much with all these fires, it was really wild. Uh, but I think we're, we're going to be okay. It just was, uh, you know, that timing wasn't very good, <laughs> but we'll make it out of it. Yeah. I think we're going to be, we're going to be good. I think a lot of people are going to be better and a lot of people are going to be worse after all of this. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's kind of both are going on with me, you know, yeah. in some ways, not so good in others, but, uh, yeah. I think we're all going to get better over time and uh hopefully this space is giving people time to kind of go deeper uh, yeah. you know we've, we've we've been kind of on this what's new what's you know what's happening kind of reality for a long time maybe it's a good time for us to uh go deeper and yeah. uh, look at what's best yeah. i know that that's definitely been i, I since especially since covid mm -hmm. you know i I don't, I, I don't know if it's a bad thing or a good thing. I know this sounds kind of crazy to say, but I have a lot of gratitude for COVID. That's 
crazy to say. Right. Who in the world would say that? Right. What I mean by that is that it yes, it's awful. It's taking taken lives. It's it's like upended people's you know fortunes. It has just been crazy. But it's also given time for perspective. Yeah. What is important? Yeah. You know, um, uh, how, how is my time going to be spent? What if this is the end? You yeah. know, um, what am I going to, how am I going to look back on my life and think to my, you know, be able to look at myself and be proud of what I've created or happy about myself as a human. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like COVID has for me, given me an opportunity to just kind of, you know, especially when it was first happening, like when it was, you know, again, what I call dog days of COVID, like when it was just really unknown and really creepy and scary. And I was traveling at that time. I was in Pittsburgh on the 17th of March on my way back home and terrified that I was going to come home and not be able to breathe, you know what I mean? And, and die. But, 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 you know, past that getting well, being fine and all that, just thinking to myself, like, you know, I, I really want to be able to make, um, more of a, um, impact on my people, like, but make sure that they know I care, uh-huh. you know, um, cause life's short. It is. Short. Yeah. And, um, we need to, we need to come out of it as best we can, I guess. And hopefully we've left behind a good wake of service. I'm, I'm just really glad that we touched on that. That is a, it's been a reoccurring of a theme that has come up over and over through these podcasts. And that is that that service service is the highest or that we can actually aspire to. And the challenge that I think a lot of us have is is when we give service to be taken as a servant and the difference between the two is, 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 is based upon respect, right? Yeah. So one of the things that's challenging for people who give service or are, you know, serve is being taken for granted and assumed that they will always serve and, and then, you know, not treated as respectful. Have you, have you found that ever, or do you demand respect me? Well, I, I think for me, I, I've been fortunate in all the years that I've done it to recognize when I'm being taken for granted, like to, to see that it's happening Yeah. and, you know, and, and also to not put myself there. Mm-hmm. So that takes, that takes, um, one time to recognize, um, I know it sounds silly, but sometimes it takes a little bit of courage to yeah. say, I don't, I don't want, this doesn't work for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because you, there's always, for me, at least this feeling I'm letting somebody down. I don't want to let somebody down. Right. Mm-hmm. But I have had occasions where, you know, people have pushed too much or demanded too much or, you know, whatever. And, and I, I put myself out there and, you know, found myself um, serving, being the servant and recognize, recognizing that it didn't, it didn't do anything for the company and it didn't do anything for me. So finding ways to be able to say no. 
And saying no is a hard thing for me. I'm a yes person. I love saying yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of power in saying no. And, and also recognizing that it's okay. It's okay to say no. Yeah. And maybe no isn't necessarily the right word, but being able to say that doesn't work for me. Right. Right. And knowing your boundaries. I mean, you and just it, yeah. really have to kind of explore that. Like sometimes when you're serving and, and all of a sudden you just, you notice it. You're like, Oh, this person expects me. Yeah. I feel like they could do that. And I would do this. And how do you step out of that? Especially if they have authority or something like that. And it's, Oh yeah. Uh, oh man. I, you know, I have actually had that happen more times than I can count in my lifetime. Um, and, and each, I guess each time I've played it as I could, the best that I could, yeah. um, and maybe beat myself up later. Yeah. Um, but, but maybe also just thought like, I'm going to find the good in that. So yeah. I've had occasions where people will lie to me about who they are. Yeah. That happens so often. Somebody will lie to me about who they are so that they'll get special treatment. Sure. They'll get, you know, things they'll be looked at as a VIP because they've made up. Who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I mean, I, I remember one particular incident, this um, young man was a, he's a blogger, you know, he was a w- wine writer, he was a food writer, he had a huge following and, um, and just wanted to really make sure that I knew that all this stuff about him. So I created a special, you know, situation where, you know, we we're going to take care of him. And then I decided, you know, I'm going to look this guy up because yeah. if he's a big deal, I want to, I want to know what he's done. Sure. He was not a big deal. No. He was, he was not, he was not anything really. Right. But when he came, I still showed him a really good time. I didn't give him as much as I would have. Right. Uh, you know, looking if he had really been the person he said he was, he would have gotten a lot more and he wouldn't have ever really had to say anything. He, he could have just said who he was and why don't you go ahead and see, see the work I've done. You know what I mean? Like that I could have looked him up and seen and seen he was that the person was a big deal, but um, I still showed him a good time. And, and the reason why is I felt like, you know, he's, this person has a loud mouth. And what I mean by that is he's willing to say all kinds of things. Yeah. to get what he wants. Right. So I've got to be careful with this one. I can't give him everything because I can't. I right. just can't. But I need to give him something because he's going to leave and he's no matter what, he's either going to say something really bad if he doesn't think he got what he wanted right. or he's going to say something so wonderful on and on and on. It's going to be one extreme or the other. Right. And so we showed him a good time and he did. He on and on and on loved it and still even to this day loves right. it. He's not that big of a deal. He thinks he's a really big deal. He's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I recognize that I'm, uh, I'm like those little plants that they just brought up, like you were talking about way back in the day and (laughs) I'm watering them things and then they're going to grow eventually, but I've got a few seasons ahead of me. I I hope so. (laughs) I hope so, Gary. You're going to turn into a good vintage man. 
I think, yeah, I'm just going to grow this thing organically. I, you know, I'm probably going to have to get a regular job. So um, once the unemployment runs out or, you know, if I get a job before it runs out, that might be nice too. But I appreciated this time to, you know, build, build my world and it's been really fun. And, and I really loved the women in business um, series, particularly because it's just been so passion driven. Like every one of the women that I've interviewed have gone in and done what they've done because they truly love it at one level. At another level, it was because the market had not provided something that they desired in their life. And, and what they did find wasn't satisfactory. So they created their own product, you know, and it's just on and on and on. It is, but typically the underlying thing is passionate and willing to jump in and do something new, you know, and it's, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's, 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 um, I love that we have women out there that aren't afraid to go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, it's um, they say that we're still about 200 years women, that we're still about 200 years away from being equal to men. And uh, which is wild to think about, like, how could that be 200 years? No way. Um, but, All structures are handed down just like land is handed down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you just think, we have come a really long way. We were just talking about, uh, my stepson and I were talking about how um, women couldn't wear pants. Yeah. He was like, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah they couldn't wear pants to school. They yeah. had to wear dresses and skirts. And he just thought that was like the craziest thing. And I'm thinking, that was my mom. That was my mom. My too. mom was one of them. Like, you know, so it was not that long ago. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's incredible what's happened uh, since then, but I just can't wait for it to really get level. You know? It'll happen over time. Yeah. Um, you know, I was raised by a single mom and, you know, served under Sergeant Major in the Marines, who was a woman. And oh, that's awesome. I've just kind of, and I've had lots of women managers and some great and some horrible. Uh, but, I, I don't know. I, I've, I, I've received good management from both sides yeah. and, and I've, I've, you know, met inspiring people on both sides. However, I do have to say that the women in business has been a little more inspiring um, than, you know, the men in business stories that I've heard in the past. You know, there's, there's a difference, I think in the world that you have to navigate as a woman uh, to actually build a business and you you built a business within a business basically i got lucky in that respect yeah there are a lot of women out there that didn't have that you know, that, that that did it themselves um i know you uh you interviewed um oh what is her name she's fresh to you oh oh oh, uh, oh god now I, I, leslie no um no uh <laughs> i know i i'm blanking on her name i, I hate it let me look it up i, I can find it here um she's so fantastic i don't i don't know her personally but i know people who know her and um she's she's just such a cool gal uh, i'm i'm looking at your website right here to see if i can find her name um here in just a second i'm gonna find it but you know like people like her evan remington what's that evan 
I think so. I, I think that's her name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, she's she's fascinating. And that was a really uh, fun interview with her. Yeah. And the amount of service that she does for the community is yeah. and And just creating uh, menus that are healthier for society because she she's passionate about making it better. And even though, you know, you're thwarted at certain levels of trying to make the full dream of fresh and local foods happen, you still try. And that, yeah. that was just, a, yeah, it was a good story. Yeah, you've got, you've got some really good people on your, I've been, I've been kind of listening to your stuff. Uh, yeah. it, you do a really good job, Gary. You make people feel very comfortable. And it, it's, uh, I, li I like your interviewing style a lot. Oh, well, thank you. I, I'm now I'm, I like that because that's really the most important thing is to have a good dialogue. Um, and, and I noticed that all of the big like radio people like Howard Stern and even Oprah, they all started out doing fantastical to grab audience. That's not my play. That's not, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Um, but they both have got to this place where we are now, where they actually started having deeper and stronger dialogues with their people, uh, with their guests. And, that's, I just going to start out that way. Yeah. Why not? Why not go big all the way? Go to the top. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. That's great. Well, I'd like to thank you so much for coming out today. Um, I will be sharing this link with you soon. Um, that's, uh, probably tomorrow morning. Okay. Uh, that will be for the audio. I probably won't post the video for a little bit. I'm trying to rework my intro piece to tag on all my videos. So I've got a few backed up okay. and I haven't finished that process yet. And, I haven't woke up with the dream of what I wanted to do with that yet. And, hey, uh, I hope it comes to you. That's how it happens. Either um, a dream or I start playing around with something and then it happens. You know, can you do that? Can you do a Rubik's Cube? I can. Yeah. Um, it's funny. You had mentioned something about, is there anything that you had always wished that you had learned and then did it, you know, you didn't. And I said, well, you know, I had always wanted to learn the Rubik's Cube. Yeah. And I, I have, I was diagnosed with adult ADHD. Oh, I have that. Right. Yeah. So, um, anybody medical, but literally everybody who knows me. Well, I, I actually did get, get diagnosed medically because I started after I got married, my husband, he's just the most kind hearted and patient person. Thank God. Cause I would absolutely need that. Uh -huh. um, started recognizing some things that I had a, you know, a difficult time, maybe paying attention or, you know, things like that. Right. Things I already knew about myself, but then like, he said it in such a kind way that I never took any, I didn't take any offense to it. So I went and I talked to my doctor and sure enough, um, I have ADHD. So I've been medicated, which uh -huh. is wild. I've never taken medication in my life. Uh, for anything, you right. know, ex you know, except for common cold. I mean, I've never had to take medication. So I started taking it and it has given me tremendous focus. Yeah. Uh, that I did not have before. And yeah. so I decided to learn how to do the Rubik's cube and it's actually so much fun and I am learning how to do it. Um, literally as I speak to you, I just started maybe five, six days ago. And I can solve the Rubik's cube in about 20 minutes. Wow. Um, but I, I'm trying to get my times down to one minute. So right. I've got to, I've got to learn algorithms. So like I've got these algorithms I have to learn to learn how to do this, but it's, I'm going to get it. 
I'm determined. And, and, and it's just, it's fun. It's a good way to just kind of spend my time. Let me ask you, what do they, what do they prescribe? Um, it's called, it's called atomoxetine. Uh, -huh. uh A-T-O-M, like an atom. Mm -hmm. Atomoxetine. And I'm just taking a low dosage at like 60 milligrams. And I had to play with the dosages. At first, it was way too strong. And I couldn't, I just, I, not that I couldn't focus. I just, I was going too fast, like too, I, too much or some overload. I don't know. But then I um, changed it up and now it's just working great. And I'd give the world for the ability to focus, um, you know, over a consistent long period of time. I sit down to write and my, you know, and then that's a, a habit I'm trying to build for myself is writing. Yeah. And literally my monkey brain's like, Hey, get up and, 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 and I'm like, well, what do you want to do? Monkey brain? He's like, I don't know. Just not this. Okay. It's not this. Yeah. Well, just, you know, it's never too late. I'm not necessarily saying you need it or don't need it, but I can tell you it made a huge difference inside of my life. And I am really grateful that I, that I did it. So now I'm just solving the whites, the white inside of this Rubik's cube for you. So now I've got the bottom done. Oh, wow. Okay. And then I'll get my sides done in just a minute. And within a matter of no time, I'll have the yellow top done. And the, the number one key is Gary, you start with the daisy. Start with start, the daisy. Start with the daisy. Yep. And then, uh, and then you do the yellow cross and then you do the yellow face. And then before you know it, it's done. Wow. Yeah. And you can learn to do it too, Gary. <laughs> with those for hours. And it's actually, a lot of fun. You got to do that. So the sequences get really challenging when you have ADD. Uh, yes. The, if I had ADHD, I don't know that I would be able to do this. Yeah. But but without it, I got it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting it. Getting closer. I've been thinking about <laughs> this for years, actually going and getting on medicine. But, you know, I've heard like Adderall is like really intense and I don't know that I want anything like that. Me neither. I said the same thing to my doctor. I'm like, I don't want anything that's going to make me feel like I am on drugs. Yeah. And this does not make me feel like I'm on drugs. That's good. So, you know, if you get a chance, talk to your doctor, if you want this type of a thing, yeah. um, that it did, it really did work for me. I, th I think it's probably the, the one thing that's held me back most of my life is not as deeply as I need to. Yeah. Me too. Me too. I told my doctor, I'm like, look, I don't want, I don't want to be on drugs because I, because I want to be high or have, you know, I just want to like, I want to be better at my job and I want to be a better partner for my husband. Right. I want to make a plan and then follow through with it. Yes. I don't want to rebel against myself because I don't want to, you know? Yes. Yes. I, it, it, it will change you. Yeah. So, you know, think, Think about it for you. you. You might be really glad you did. Look, see, I'm getting it. Oh my gosh, we're almost there. <laughs> it's almost like you're going to stay on the line with me just to see if I can do this. <laughs> Teacher is calling, and I'm going to have to check out. Yes. Well, what an absolute pleasure to talk with you, Gary. Um, let me know if you need anything, any follow up, or if you want to redo this or anything you want. I'm here for you. Yeah, so I will send you the link, and if you can share that with your social media, that'd be great. Um, if you know of anybody else that you'd like to maybe uh, talk to and and see if they would be involved, would like to be involved with the show, um, and it, it doesn't have to be within the Women in Business series. It can be with, I will interview anybody from any area, walk of life, 
and uh, I just want to know their stories. I've got I've got some people for you. I'll send someone your way, Gary. That's good. Yeah. Oh, see, I got the bottom half done. Oh, look at you. You're getting. <laughs> hey, y'all. Scarlet Pepper. Uh, those of you who have supported, bless you. Thank you so much. Um, you can support by going to wherever you're listening to it on, marking the support button. It is like a, I think it's like a monthly thing where you can do a buck to 20 or something like that a month. And so if you want to support Garland Pepper that way, that way that can help me get to the next level to where I actually have enough shows that the advertisers are interested. So this is just my first leg is the the sponsor or support leg. And then sponsorships will come later once I get my volume up. That's awesome. I love the name of the show too. Garland Pepper. It's too good. I love it. And you know what? There's a lot of Gary Foxes in the world. So you can just get lost in some car sales lot in Indiana. That's that guy. Uh, Garland Pepper, there's only there's there's me and apparently the guy on um the the pets the the show about the dogs uh, oh, best in show apparently that guy's name was garland pepper and i had no or idea it's, it's actually harlan oh it's harlan okay Har harlan pepper and he's got an obsession with nuts and I he's got and he's got a hound doggy you got to watch it it's called best in show it's a funny funny canadian comedy I'm, yeah i love those shows um you know Final Tap's definitely one of the number one. <laughs> you got to see the show. I'm telling you, you'll love yeah. his character. I love it. Well, thank you, Wendy. Bless you. Bless your family and you all. Everybody get better and take care of your others. Love is the answer. It's true. Thanks, right. Gary. See ya.